0: Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast, getting inside the sports industry and recording it on audio.
1: Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly, I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. hope you're all very well indeed. Um, We have Brett Gosper, the chief executive of World Rugby on the podcast this week. I caught up with him a short time ago at Global Sports Week in Paris uh, and we had a very enjoyable conversation about all the challenges and opportunities that exist in Rugby Union and Rugby Sevens at the moment. Uh, Obviously looking back to the Rugby World Cup in Japan and some of the lessons that came out of that. Uh, Moving on to the tournament in France uh, and the shift in emphasis that that requires right across the organisation Also taking into account the expansion of the rugby calendar, the other priorities that World Rugby has on the event side. There's Tokyo 2020, and we talked about the power of the Olympic Games uh, in terms of furthering rugby's growth, uh, the way that that's changed the organisation, the way that that's changed some of the things that World Rugby is able to do, some of the contact it can make with uh, governmental organisations and things like that. Um, Of course, uh, World Rugby's efforts to coordinate that calendar with some of the other stakeholders in the sport. There's the spectre of venture capital, of course, not least here in Europe with uh, CBC's interests in the English club game and the Six Nations and various other things besides. Um, And we look at the role of sevens, the role of new formats, and of course at the women's game, World Rugby uh, pursuing uh, an unprecedented strategy in that area, but it's still somewhere where more progress is needed and quicker than ever before. So that's all to come. As I mentioned last time, I am in Atlanta this week for the first ever edition of Sports Pro OTT USA. Uh, Keep an eye out on all of our digital channels for more from uh, Turner Studios over the next couple of days and weeks. And of course, you should be keeping an eye out on sportspromedia.com for all the great stuff that is coming out of there all the time on a whole range of topics uh, concerning the sports industry quick reminder of a couple of our other events that we have coming up sports pro ott asia that is returning to singapore on the 25th and 26th of march head to sportspro-ottasia.com to find out more about that and sports pro live that's where technology meets the sports business and that will be in london at the olympic park from the 27th to the 29th of april Sportsprolive.com for more on that Hope you're enjoying the Sports Pro Podcast. If you are, then please do remember to subscribe, to uh, like and share our content across our social channels. Uh, Join in the conversation using Sports Pro Pod. Leave us a nice review on your podcast platform of choice if you're so inclined. Um, If you want to get in touch, podcast at sportspromedia.com is the address. Right, I will leave you with Brett Gosper and look forward to speaking to you again uh, when I return from Atlanta next week. Brett Gosper, welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast
0: Pleased to be here
1: Um, Brett, what were your thoughts in the end on Rugby World Cup 2019? What are we two months on now? Three months on. Yeah, I,
0: I guess it started to sink in two months after, and it does take a little bit of um, distance from it to really, I guess, evaluate it. We're still in the process of evaluating all elements of it, mm. um, certainly the the top line results of most criteria uh, would indicate that it's been a huge success um, on all of those early indicators. Yeah, um, we, you know, and I can go through them very quickly without boring your your audience, but. Um, We'll get the confirmation, but we think it was a it created four billion dollars in economic activity for Japan. We know it created the biggest television audiences we've ever seen, particularly domestic audiences in Japan, with Scotland, Japan itself, or Japan, Scotland itself, uh, about 55 million people, which is half of a population, which is a little bit unheard of in any sporting uh, broadcast. I mm. mean, um, we've just had the Super Bowl, I think the Super Bowl probably does about one in three I think. yeah I think it's 25 30 percent 30 percent at max if it, if, it, if it goes well so interesting um, in that sense we had huge online 2.1 billion video views versus the 300 million we had in England four mm. years before a bit of structural evolution there but uh, a huge pickup um, we did our own broadcast for the first time not a host broadcast through it through through a broadcaster so we did that ourselves and controlled it ourselves and I think So the feedback we've had has been incredibly positive on that front. Um, We had uh, another criteria on field in terms of competition. We had uh, the the, the lowest winning margins between Tier 1 and Tier 2 as average scores. Just beat the last one at every World Cup. We've improved that, and that means it's been a very competitive World Cup. We had an emerging market like Japan make it through the quarterfinals for the first time, which was fantastic. Um, and I, I, can, I can go on. It has been an immensely popular World Cup for the local audience and for the global audience. And it certainly uh, created uh, you know, a, a massively interested fan base in Japan beyond uh, the fan base it, it held before we knew this World Cup. So, and again, as we build up to this year's Olympics, which are also in Tokyo... Yeah it's a fantastic uh, double punch for that market.
1: Practically, what have you been going through for the last few months? You know, you you very much an organisation built around this four-year cycle going up to the World Cup. It's your big moneymaker. It funds a lot of your other activities in, in the sport. What's the shift practically and then also, I suppose, culturally, emotionally when you're coming out of that tournament? What what, what processes do you have to go through?
0: Like, I, I get that. it's a, It's a bit... Cathartic as well. We go through a process of debriefing with 2019, and we've we've had an entire week spent in Dublin with all of the Japanese uh, uh, organizing committee, the, the the main people in that coming across and literally going through every element of the collaboration and what went what went right. Mm. We kind of know, so it's a pretty honest session about what we feel could be better next time or what we could have done better. So it's it's really more about not Backslapping and saying what a great World Cup it was, which obviously uh, we know it was, but it's how do we improve the next one? What could we have done better? What will we do better? And so on. Now, without going into all of the detail of that, it was an extremely honest session. Yeah. Not, not often, um, you know, there was incredible frankness, and it's, it, it's not what we would felt often over the four years with our, our Japanese partners Um, Sometimes I think the Western culture is a bit more frank uh, and upfront in a meeting context, but they were incredibly frank and and honest and constructive Mm. in helping us to to, to create perhaps some different models, whether it be for the next World Cup or if we head back to Japan at some point, because these information sessions are held almost in time capsules for the next uh, World Cup hosts. To, to learn off very quickly yeah. um, and, and that image, that, sorry, that information transfer is a critical part of what we're doing. Then you move very quickly back into planning for 2023 and, and one of the reasons I'm in Paris today is to is to reconnect with 2023. I had meetings this morning um, and that is well on track. Uh, so you just very quickly put that World Cup behind you and you're on yeah. to the next World Cup. We've got a bidding uh, process for two World Cups which will be incredibly uh, intense. It'll be decided November twenty one. We've got an Olympics this year, as I said. We've got the HSB seven series, which is in full flight. Um, we've got junior world cups on the horizon. We've got women's world cup in twenty one, which is the next world cup. So there's 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 no time to sit back and and yeah pat yourself on the back for much longer than
1: yeah a couple did, of did nights.
0: It, I think in Tokyo.
1: Yeah, I mean <laughs> the um, obviously the. The progress of the sport in Japan, between when the World Cup was awarded and, and when it happened, was was incredible. And I think that that kind of has contributed to to some of the success that you had. Did, was it a different tournament than you were expecting? Did it did the, did the character of it change because because of that? Do you think?
0: I think it did. I think we spent wrongly probably, but also that may be why it turned out to be a very good World Cup. We spent a lot of the 10 years... This was the World Cup that took the longest to prepare because it was Mm. appointed 10 years out. And I think we spent most of that 10 years worrying Mm. because we're in uncharted waters, Mm. not in one of the the more sophisticated, established uh, rugby markets. No one had, had hosted a big event in Japan since 2002. If there was any hosting talent, it had already gone to... Tokyo 2020, um, we were dealing with a very different uh, working environment and culture than we were used to dealing with, linguistic challenges, distance, mm. time zone. I mean, it was just a very challenging Rugby World Cup. We then halfway through had the Olympic Stadium, which was going to be the centrepiece of our World Cup, not not told that we're not going to be ready with that stadium, and that was a bit of a hiccup. So, that, that, you know, it, and we were never completely confident that the fan base would turn up in Japan as it did. Um, as we got closer towards the event, as ticketing was released, um, as the team started to show some shape, as uh, the stadia and the hosts started to organise themselves and the investments going in the right area and experts turn up in the right places, you know, a lot of them local, locally based, but some of them we helped inject into the system from past World Cups, our confidence grew. So you can forget that probably this World Cup, we have to be honest, probably, I'd love to say everything was planned in the team. It came out exactly as planned, but it did come out better than we thought it would mm. on many criteria. It was a, a fantastic surprise in a good way. Not a shock, but a very satisfying surprise. Um, Outcome in, in in most of the areas yeah. um, that was beyond expectations. As certainly they were laid out ten years ago. Yeah. As I say, as we got closer to the event, those expectations got a, a bit, bit closer th- to where the outcomes ended up. Yeah.
1: Where does that leave you for France? Because you're coming back now to an established rugby market, yeah, yeah. and you're coming to a market that is, you know, we're, we're at Global Sports Week here, which is intended as a big statement of intent. It's hosting the yes, Paris right. is hosting the 2024 true, Olympics. True. France is. Trying to establish itself as, as a real global power,
0: yeah, and, and they are. Um, let's face it, they are a global power. They're you know a world cup holder in football, they've hosted world cups in football, yeah. UEFA championships. Um, they obviously are going to be Olympic host soon, it's been a while since they've done that. Um, they've had a rugby world cup in 2017. So, you look, this is one of the great hosting yeah. markets of any major sporting event. The French do it brilliantly, and they'll do it brilliantly.
1: So uh, in before, 2023 yeah but
0: it's a different way of managing you know we, we were very hands-on mm-hmm. uh, with japan uh, they needed that um there's resistance for that in some ways because culturally they wanted to do it their own way we were not trying to 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 do it in a way that was not japanese culture we we're just trying to help them learn from mistakes that we've made and i think we all understood each other uh, after a while Here we now revert to a situation where we've got some incredibly experienced um, big event uh, managers and organisers here. It's not that long ago since they had a Rugby World Cup. Mm There have been some major uh, sporting events here in the meantime, and as recently as a couple of years ago and so on. We're probably being accused of being over-controlling at the moment because we've been in a a mindset with Japan, and we need to probably adjust our demeanour a little bit with a very mature and, and, and the market's well-led mm. by Ache in particular who runs the 2023 uh, organizing committee so um, you know we're, we're full of confidence that this is going to be a brilliant World Cup yeah
1: um,
0: and and it will it, it's it's great for it to come back into this market yeah which is obviously one of the you know lighthouse uh, flagship markets for rugby
1: yeah and I mean you you know the uh, there were other nations on the table, obviously, that, that would have gone a different way. South Africa and Ireland there would have been different kinds of, of World Cups. The, having it here, do you have now, do you set very aggressive expectations for how it's going to perform? And you know, Yes, yeah, so I think those expectations
0: did... were set in the bidding process. Yeah. Um, all three countries that bid would have put on a, a magnificent Rugby World Cup at a, at a much higher commercial level um know, we seek to retain the values look feel all the good things about a rugby world cup but we also look to fund the sport in ever-increasing ways and there are greater demands on us funding the sport as time goes on um france will break commercial records uh, in every way Um, their challenge is and they have to meet up to the guarantees that they've made in that bidding process and we're, we're you know, more than confident that, that they will do that and there are certain securities around that. Where I think France, if they've been watching the the, the Japanese World Cup and they're very capable of matching Japan in that department too, is the personality of yeah. that World Cup in Japan was quite special, um, as indeed the 2007 World Cup here was. And I think with the creativity that France can put, into a world cup and they're always thinking all of the time how can we do things differently the french way our way and so on i think they'll rival japan though it be familiar territory for the rugby world the french are capable of making it look very fresh yeah very innovative and very different and that's their objective
1: yeah now you talked about the the growing demands of uh the growing funding demands that you have that come off the back of of each cycle how much does the fact that you now go Into Tokyo and you, you have, you know, an Olympic sevens event, you have uh, a women's world cup in in 2021, as you said, you have a a much broader portfolio of events that you're trying to, you know, really turn into something of, 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 a higher level. Um, how much does that change the mindset of the organization?
0: Well, we know where, you know, this is why we need to grow uh, our revenues on a, on a rugby world cup. And we, we, you know, the Japan revenues were higher, than they were in England which we hadn't forecast uh, a couple of years ago. The profit levels are a bit lower because it's a much higher cost uh, country to put a world cup on. Um, we're heading towards probably significantly higher surplus uh, in, in France and we want to make sure that that's invested in the right way but the demands uh, are higher that whether it be the established tier one nations who require you know, greater funding for their own pressures or the tier twos who require, require greater competitions. The desire to invest in new geographies requires new, new new money. The desire to invest in new opportunities like the women's game also for a while will require expenditure beyond where we, if we want to really seize that opportunity. So all of those pressures, then of course, there's the under 20s, of course, there's the sevens, of course, there's ensuring that we're uh, you know, Olympic ready at every Olympics with a with a product which is as good as any in the in the Olympic programme. So all of those pressures add up to it's very important for us to keep growing Rugby World Cup because that is eighty five, eighty eighty five percent of our revenues and one hundred percent of our profit. Mm. Um, so the importance of rugby world cup and it being in good health, image wise and and, and attractiveness to commercial partners and and so on is, is incredibly important for the for the future of the game.
1: Yeah, um, there's an event going on now that you don't run, which is the Six Nations Championship, um, and in common with Premiership Rugby, um, which has completed a deal with uh, with a private equity firm and CVC, it's attracted interest of that kind, that external venture capital uh, interest. What what does your response to that need to be as a, as a governing body? Obviously. You know these aren't your properties that that are on no, the market that's true that's an
0: important point to make um, um they're not our properties we're not owners of, of those properties but significant member unions of ours are obviously shareholders in those properties um the good news is that they keep us well informed i mean some of those uh deals are still going through and mm-hmm. they're not permitted to talk in detail about where they're ending up but, but, look, we have good interaction with, 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 with CVC itself, as do our member unions. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what's important for us is that while it's a good sign that there is money, the sport is attracting money because they believe that there is greater value to be extracted, that's a great statement for, for the optimism yeah. of the commerciality of the sport in, into the future. All, all we want to do is just make, make sure that we maintain the proper governance of the sport, to ensure that our number one priority, play welfare, is is held to the fore, that we retain our control over the calendar, keep that balance between club and and country, um, all of those things are, uh, are are very important to us. And all of the signs in the conversations that we have with either the, you know, current investor, which is CVC, or any other suitors, are, are, are always around those those areas. And and, and there seems to be an alignment uh, with that with that view by them as well. So. Yeah.
1: I mean, what what are your thoughts on it more broadly? I mean, to, to take the Six Nations as an example, obviously that uh, is run by a separate organisation, it's run by those member unions, and they, they come together to, to, to govern it themselves. Um, but from a game expansion perspective, there is always talk about, or there has been in the last three, four years about, whether there should be promotion and relegation, whether there should be other countries like Georgia that sure. uh, you, you have an interest in, in furthering the sure. the the you know, sure. uh, the progress. Look, of. Th-
0: th- there's no question that the Nations Championship that we proposed, which did have extra money, which wasn't an equity deal, but did enrich a larger number of countries over a longer period of time in this particular deal, w- would have been a terrific deal for a broader number of countries. What I would say is that that, project, I think, has spurred and awakened um, the conversations in certain areas with the Six Nations and the championship that I'm sure we'll revisit in the future. And I think the Six Nations have made a decision uh, to take on some investment um, in in their own area. Uh, But I do think that whole nation's conversation has been important for the game and will drive some future results, be, that, be they not be immediate right now. And even in the conversation we're having about com- about competitions in Tier 2s mm. and the future of Tier 2s and emerging markets and so on, the model of the Nations Championship is is is, is an interesting one. It's mm-hmm. not for us to say, because it's not our competition, if Six Nations uh, or the Rugby Championship wants promotion relegation. Obviously, that was the model we wanted in the Nations Championship. But it's our job to make sure when they're ready to do that there is a competition a number of competitions and teams under those championships who are competitive and ready to get involved in a global competition yeah
1: because i mean the complication for six nations you know commercially is how much of it is wrapped up in in the rivalries and the the kind of historic tensions between those countries and, and the atmosphere around the whole tournament which which results from sure that. so you know if you're coming in as a um, as an investor you might be thinking I want to protect that element of it as much as I
0: can or they might think I want to expand the, the footprint of it they might have other 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 plans I I don't know what the plans are <laughs> but I'm saying private investors come in really for one reason yeah they come in because they want to make more money and um, they'll want to drive success particularly a, a private equity firm over a reasonably short period of time in the rugby universe of you know seven or eight years and so on and it would seem from the conversation Six Nations have had that's aligned with their own aspirations, which is, yeah. which is a good thing. Um, we have to ensure that the broader uh, project for rugby globally is 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 it doesn't fall away, that it is very competitive, and that we can continue to grow the footprint of the sport to the benefit of all of our members.
1: Yeah. Now, I mean, I haven't got the nomenclature down on this, but your your Nations League, World World League. Project. Why do you think what what was what was the fundamental reason that you weren't able to progress with that? Do you think?
0: Um, I think I do think that the promotion relegation was a very sensitive area, and although the Six Nations said they would come back and reconsider that in about eight years' time, and so on, it wasn't probably something that they were going to be comfortable with. We had the feeling at the time, mm. so so probably that was a barrier. There was a feeling from. Most, if not all, of the six nations that that was a dangerous concept. If you dropped out of, you know, the, the 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 six nations and so on, what would you fall into? Yeah. And so there's a desire that that next level is made, you know, stronger. Um, if that was ever to happen one day, um, I, I think also it was a proposition that that was that probably needed more time for people yeah. to embrace we we pushed a very uh fast rhythm uh to the championship and the six nations because of the rights window that was closing there was a gap there where everything was aligned and in front could you know provide a negotiation during that particular period before you go into another uh Cycle yeah. of rights all around the world in different parts of the world for the different championships. So there was that perfect storm moment, which but it created a highly accelerated program that I don't think um, people were comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we're moving some of these institutions and competitions that have been around a long time, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a very, on a very fast program. I think that was probably the second reason
1: mm.
0: it, it, it was a tough call.
1: Yeah so if, if you were to revisit these conversations what what forms do you think you would need to revisit them in when do you think you'd be ready to,
0: to Look, be i think really i think table? i think those conversations will will happen naturally uh, at some point the question is is there a, a a new product for the international game that takes its form in whoever's selling the rights owning the rights or whatever forget the rights for a second is the format of the product a global world league happening two or three of the four years around a world cup and so on mm. is that something that's going to provide added value for all of the unions who are at the table on that now belief is that it probably is so at some point i think uh that is a conversation that we come back to all of us but yeah you know, there, there's there's you know they've got to get over the hump of their own uh of, of what they're selling to cbc and getting through that deal yeah. at the moment and I think when the dust settles on 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 those signatures, if it does, then you know we're we're all ready for a, for a grown-up conversation on what's right for the sport internationally. The international game funds the development of the sport and 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 all of our member unions are keen that it that it retains and grows its its special position as a as, as a as a spectacle but also as a fundraiser for all of the unions. yeah. Enjoying this Sports Pro podcast? Well, we're also the sports industry leader in print, digital, and events. Head to sportspromedia.com for the latest features, news, and interviews from the business of sport. Help yourself to a subscription to our acclaimed magazine and find out about our unmissable conferences before anyone else. Get inside the industry with Sports Pro.
1: We, we mentioned in the dispatches the Tokyo tournament uh, for the Olympic Games. Um, how has being a member of that movement and being a part of that programme changed World Rugby as an organisation?
0: I think it's it's been an incredible developer of the sport, first of all. I mean, there's, there's us being in the environment, and you know, it's what it does for your sport. And I'll come back, I'll do. What it does for your sport is particularly the Sevens game, is a great developer and a great initiator of interest to the public. Um, It's very easy for a... It's much easier, not very easy, it's much easier than in the Fifteens game to bring a national team to a competitive level. Mm. It puts, and we've seen in in the global research that we do, that the biggest driver of the new footprint of rugby is done through the Sevens game. Um, And, you know, it creates interest in the Fifteens after that 15s is hard to yeah. initiate interest. We've seen that over the 200 years the sports existed, but sevens opens doors that then 15s walks through afterwards. So it's been very good on that front. We've seen the, new, the fan base that we measure is grown by two big events, the World Cup, Rugby World Cup, and the Olympics. And if we've got about north of 300 million fans around the world on our research, each of those events, six days of Olympics, six weeks of a World Cup, each grow the the fan base by about thirty million. Yeah. So so just that in itself is great. the legitimacy the Olympics gives you on educational curriculum, whether it be university scholarships in university on programs in schools, um, the dialogue you will have with governments that you wouldn't have if you weren't an Olympic sport. We wouldn't get a meeting with a minister of sport in China if we weren't an Olympic sport. If we ring and say we're coming next week because we're an Olympic sport, we'll meet with the minister, and that and that in a number of countries. I use China as an example because mm. it's. Fundamentally, a huge country. So, yeah, it's fundamentally huge. Um, so, exposure during those six days, obviously, fantastic. The conversations it allows us to have with governments, the, the development uh, on school cricket, are fantastic. As an organisation, to sit as one of the twenty-seven Summer Olympic sporting federations, and benchmark on all sorts of issues which they do for us in terms of governance, uh, athlete welfare. Forums of interest and so on. So it's a great environment to be in yes. for your sport to understand where it sits. And and maybe before in the Olympics, uh, before we were in that environment, maybe we were a more insular sport than we are now. Yeah. I think we're more aware of our place in the world and we're better equipped to globalise the sport because of what we're learning from other federations that we sit in meeting rooms with on two or three occasions during the year and on working groups and with water and with you know all of these things that are Olympic-centric. Yeah. Um, it's it's been incredibly healthy yeah. and, and other sports who are wanting to come into the Olympic movement come in to see us often to say, you know what what's the good parts, what's the bad parts? And there aren't really any bad parts of it. it's yeah. all it is all good and it's all important.
1: yeah, does it change the way that you you benchmark your yourselves against other sports? I mean you
0: like, always thinking, well, what, I think what you know I don't have changed the way I'm not sure we were benchmarking ourselves before. yeah I, you know again, I kind of arrived at a pretty similar time to the Olympics uh, of being on the program. We hadn't done the Olympics; I've been mean, here since two thousand twelve. first Olympics were twenty sixteen. So during that two thousand twelve, we were in those meetings yeah. in the build up. So I always lived in that environment with with world rugby. So I think we're far more insular mm-hmm. before. But we look we benchmark on, as I say, governance. They do a running uh, score sheet on how good your governance is and. You know, which is good, we end up in the top three in terms of uh, the criteria that they deploy. We've got work to do in some areas, but generally speaking, our governance is, is seen as a very positive and strong governance by the IC. We um, get benchmarked in things like uh, social media presence, broadcasting presence, um, the training materials that we use in, in, in internally and so on medical as i said player welfare and athlete welfare so all of these things are very helpful to us yeah um we, the, we don't always agree with where they come out on the benchmark but it, it gives you some uh, basis of comparison and perspective
1: yeah i mean you joined with rugby you've given your place in 2009 for that's, that's right. 2016 in 2016 and heading into the decisions were made that will take us into 2020 and 24 in terms of that program and it's quite dramatically different. You know, like some of the sports that are coming in you're looking at skateboarding and breaking and surfing and stuff like that. Yeah. It's obviously an attempt to target a different audience. And, you know, do you feel like you have to respond to that in that context?
0: Um, well, we're a very young Olympic sport, so we don't feel like we're a tired and true uh, Olympic sport. We're still a novelty after one yeah. Olympics, fortunately. Also, our sevens version has a much younger Uh, audience Mm. uh, base than the 15s game. Again, that's a good part of sevens in recruiting interest for the 15s. It comes at it from a a younger fan engagement profile uh, than the 15s. Um, So we're happy that the Olympics is making huge efforts to appeal to that younger target audience because we are as a sport and most other sports are too. And we're happy to be judged against that and we're happy to perform against that. Yeah. And we think we we stack up really well against that. But again, there might be some lessons to learn in sports presentation, and you know what are the elements of your sport that appeal to that that new audience, and what doesn't, and how can you modify? So again, it, it's an incubator. Now it's six days every four years. You have to put that in perspective for the yeah. sport. That's that's incredible impact for a small amount of time um, and disproportionately high in influence. Versus the, the the time. But in the build up over those four years, the HSBC uh, World Rugby Seven Series is invested very heavily in. We, we, we spend a lot of money with the hosts, with the participant teams, with the Challenges Series are about to launch. All of that builds towards that is the product that is the backbone of what is the tip of the iceberg every four years, which is the Olympic product. Yeah. And we'll, I mean, we sell about 750,000 tickets in a World Series. I think we'll sell six hundred thousand. I think that's the stadium we're in. Yeah. Two sessions, six days. Um, so the impact, just in a in a ticketing point of view, but obviously broadcast audience. Yeah. You know the impact far far higher and so on. But yeah. it's a big event for six days. And yeah. it Does a lot for us.
1: I mean, sevens has been your um, your accelerator, as you as you say, and it's been a, a more digestible version of the game for people who are new to it as players and as spectators. Uh, there was the experiment last year um, with Rugby X at the O2. That's right. Um, which is kind of of a piece with things we've seen ATP doing, things we're seeing the ECB doing in England um, next summer with the hundred um, experiments with formats that are kind of engineered by changes in attention, attention type, I guess.
0: Rather yeah. Than attention yeah. span.
1: I always feel like that's and, a little bit. And, very
0: and cool, you. But... It's a little bit like that, but also to take in new audiences. I mean, a lot of people who were at the O2 for that initially, I don't have the stats here with me, but it wasn't our own initiative. It was an initiative that we allowed, as did the RFU, because it was on the English soil, but it was a marketing company called TRM who came to us with the format. It's not something that we've invested in or wanted to put money in, but we felt it was a great experiment. And a, and, a, and a possible um, detonator around new audiences and to create some in the same way Sevens creates it for Fifteens, this is another format of the game that can create for a, for a younger yeah. fan audience, families in a different context, make people reappraise the sport and perhaps re-enter it and so on. So it, w- it was, for a first effort, successful. And, and there'll be more of those in, in London and maybe in some other destinations around mm-hmm. Europe. Um, it, it's a it's a curiosity for people, but we're happy for the oval-shaped ball and rugby in in, in different forms to meet new audiences and hopefully create some interest in yeah. in, in the other formats. But it, it's it's more we're doing it for out of preemption than mm-hmm. necessity. we don't, neither the sevens or fifteens version are dying or are in trouble or or you know I, I know people often compare sevens to t20 cricket and so on um you know these are shorter formats of the game in cricket were there because there were some issues around test cricket and attendances and so on these are to us expansionary Mm. um experiments um that can help grow the game yeah um not not so much to as a retentional yeah
1: uh, how much how much does um how much does that or do those potential pressures to do with media consumption or to do with audience behaviour, how much do those factor into what you do with the 15s game? Is, is it ever a consideration when you're setting new rules that this doesn't work on television, basically? Um, or do you have to be very careful about that?
0: Um, look, we, I, I think Sevens is a good incubator for some of this stuff, and it's usually around sports presentation, use of technology, graphics, graphics, um, some of the rules as well get experimented in different contexts. We do a lot of trialling in the 15s context, but some things in sevens we take into, in, into 15s too. Again, 15s is not broken. We're always trying to optimise it from a play welfare perspective or from an attractiveness or simplicity angle, but we don't have, at this point in time, evidence that the 15s game is struggling to, to, to create audiences, certainly in the international game and so on. Um, but maybe as media fragments, maybe as target audiences are harder to retain and the old models are replaced by new uncertainties, um, there'll be more radical experimentation, um, you know, whether it be formats, whether it be quarters, whether it be whatever. We, we can't close our minds off to, um, you know, the, the potential of one day looking at different formats. Right now that's not an in, imperative, but we have the opportunity to, experiment and trial as we go mm. i mean look you know, the whole environment the whole media environment no one really knows what that's going to be in 10 years time there'll be experts out there will project all sorts of stuff but there are uncertainties as to what those environments will be and therefore what is our fan environment and how will we engage them in in 10 years it really is you know this is why we trial so many things and we allow experiments like 5 a rugby to happen because it's not what you know it's how fast you learn in this environment and so all of these things help us learn hopefully to prepare us for that future
1: yeah um, another area in which you know there is ample opportunity to expand audiences expand um, participation is in the women's game you ha- you've had a women's strategy in place uh, a new women's strategy in place since is it last year or the year before it's a couple of
0: years now yeah
1: um, first of all how is how how are you finding that progressing
0: well I think women sport is the great opportunity for all sports and and in rugby, it is the opportunity in terms of growth of participation, in particular. I hope that that participation turns into um, elite mm. product, which it is in the competitive sense that we've got pathways through that participation at the top level, whether it be in the sevens in the Olympics or whether it be World Cup in the 15s. But it's a total strategy around women in rugby, it's not just for participation we know there's huge growth in participation of our 9 million player base about 30 percent now across the world are women which surprises people when you tell them of the newly registered players because that nine is isn't all registered players there were more new registered players in the women's game last year than the men's game which is quite an inflection point for us um we invest in scholarships for women to become administrators in the sport uh we um have changed our governance to ensure the decision-making more rapidly involves our our council is now about 35 percent women whereas two years ago it was zero percent all of these things have have been aimed to 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 prepare us and drive growth in 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 women in the sport Um, other sports are helping drive that too. i mean we've seen incredible up the incredible audiences here in france for the women's world cup the women's football world cup all of those things and we've had huge audiences in our World Cup in Ireland previously huge we get audiences of above 2 and 3 million in France for big games against England and so on so the market is there um, but at the moment it's an investment in the future
1: yeah but I mean one of the things that you know obviously things can only develop so quickly if it, because as resources allow but one of the things about women's sport and the, the conversation around it is that people want stuff to happen yesterday there's exactly. a lot of you yeah. know, the, uh, and
0: things just well, don't I move do. that quickly yeah. in sports unfortunately.
1: Um, but how how do you, you know, how do you gear up for that kind of to respond to that kind of demand? Because it, it it's a very different thing? It's a social issue, and it's you know people saying, well, look, this this, well, well, this we, has been neglected, and this is something that not unique. To yeah, no,
0: no. and I'd be the first to admit that we are a recent sport that is for it's look it's been played by women for quite a long time for, yeah. you know it goes back a number of decades and so on but i think the focus on developing it as a as a women's sport has been relatively recent it's been a very male oriented environment and and sport for you know for, for for quite some time so we're playing a little bit of catch up i think on that which is why you know we have a a a very all encompassing plan and investment strategy behind the women's game. We, we, we plundered some of our reserves to make sure we could accelerate the development of the women's game. And we know that it's not just about participation, but it's also when you talk about growth of the sport, it's about your fan base. We know that in percentage terms of watching a rugby world cup, for example, there's a high percentage of women than watch a FIFA soccer world cup and even an Olympics. So women are very attracted to the sport of rugby, and it's turning that attraction into participation. and 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 elite sports people one day. And referee. you know, you need the whole industry. You need referees, coaches. We're trying to drive women in coaching through high-performance programs in Stellenbosch this year. So we'd like more women coaches, more women referees. Um, At every level of administrators, at every level of the game, you want women to feel uh, excited by the environment. Not just comfortable, but excited by the environment of rugby. And and, and that's, that's happening very quickly. Yeah, I mean, do you...
1: Is this a challenge where you have to... It has to be completely... Uh, something that applies through rugby culture and through the organisations you have and the institutions that you have or do you look to other sports and say I can borrow from this and I can borrow from that and there are comparable efforts going on that, that are going to work in rugby
0: um, look I think rugby's got to fight its own version of what's, of what's happening in that area but we have to each sport has its own specific characteristic history um, challenges um, and, and, you know, so, so you've got to deal with it under your own terms. At the same time, you know, we do look at other sports. You look at sports that have reached the destination of, of I'd say, you know, total mindset equality almost in the sense of, uh, and, and, you know, whether it be field hockey, um, tennis in certain ways, skiing, some of these sports that have just seen as completely, uh, you know, both, both genders in, in, a, in, a, in a very equal way. That's the aspiration. That's, that's what we've got to get to very quickly. Yeah,
1: um, I reckon we've got time for, for one more question. But as you mentioned, you've been at World Rugby since 2012. Um, what's ahead for you?
0: Well, what's ahead for me is, 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 is the same as what's ahead for the sport. Um, you know, you, There's never a day you get up in this job and just think of the next thing that's coming, <laughs> coming down the track at you or that you're heading towards on the horizon and so on. So, look, there's, there's, there's plenty yeah. to get on with um you know if you love the sport you, you feel privileged to to work in this sport and 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 while the people i report into um uh, and the sport you know want me to continue on i will press on it's 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 full of opportunity full of excitement full of challenges too um but you know i i'm enjoying it so uh i'll truck on to the next uh to the next challenge.
1: All right. Thanks very much, Brett.
0: Thanks very much.